It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 236, The Prophet Zechariah, Part 2. There's a big gap in time between the first set of visions and prophecies of Zechariah and the second. The separation is between Zechariah 8 and 9, and there appears to be a separate tone of his prophecies in the second part of his life. In the first part of his life, the issue is the temple and this specific moment that he's going through, the challenge of its rebuilding. Then later in his life, he goes national, prophesying about judgment of the nations, and he, after all of his encounters with the angel of the Lord, he receives words about the future to come, especially the Messiah. In fact, it's in this later stage of life, after he's faithful with the temple prophecies, where he goes national and even prophetic at the time of Jesus. It's almost like God has just a few more prophecies he needs to deliver, and they must occur before the intertestament time period. And there's more. I mean, Zechariah is faithful with his life and, and this trial for his country. And when his faithfulness is, when any, let's just say, when he's faithful to his assignment and what God has put in front of him, he gave him more. And let's touch on prophecy uh, for a minute. Um, many of the listeners, if you've been listening, um, you know, episode after episode, you're going to probably hear some repeats here, but some people may uh, just come in just to hear about Zechariah. So I've got to give a little context or, in many ways, the lack of context uh, for the prophecies of Jesus. God's vision is outside of our understanding. God can see the past, present, and future at the same time. He's not confined by time, but we are. And I've covered this a lot, but just note how the prophecies are like one sentence and theme relating with God, connecting dots historically and finishing a thought, though within the same sentence you may have different historical time periods references, ranging from talking about the current age and our timelines to the time of Jesus, to the destruction of the Second Temple, to the end of the age with events like the New Jerusalem, a whole host of Armageddon battles. This is God's vision, not ours. And to confirm this, see what Jesus says in Nazareth. He enrolls a scroll and reads Isaiah 61. He stops mid-sentence. What he read was for his time. The rest of the sentence is for his second coming. We struggle with prophecy because we're limited in our vision. God is not. His vision is layered and multi-generational. Prophecy is confusing because of our limitation. But when Matthew and the other gospel writers quote Zechariah and others, we must understand how the prophecies of Jesus are hidden in plain sight for us to find later. Often in judgment words that are also hard to receive. Other times within a mix of other visionary stuff. It's this layer of offense or layer of judgment words or complications that allow them to be overlooked for centuries until they're fulfilled. And then if you look at it spiritually... They were hidden in plain sight, and they were recorded for generations, 
But the devil didn't even understand him, though he had record of what was stated. The devil watches God's words, but when they are fulfilled, he must burn with anger. And the devil's he is confined by time. He's potentially not actually confined by space um, because he's angelic in nature, um, but he's confined by time because he was thrown down from heaven. He can only be he can only be in one place at a time. He's not like God, but he is like an angel, and thus can abide in an invisible realm that we can't see. The Apostle Paul spoke of a third heaven where God and his angels reside, though he comes and goes all through our first heaven, or just call it our earth. It was the first heaven when Eden was here, but it's not, you know, a a heaven anymore. In between an evil realm may be there where darkness roams the earth. A war going on in the invisible realm and judgment already passed down upon it. God has passed judgment all the way back to the Garden of Eden against the devil. In fact, it was the first prophecy uh, that a descendant of Eve would crush the head of the snake. We also know that it would be through Judah and the line of David. And we have all these clues called prophecies delivered by the prophets of old. Zechariah will be blessed to deliver some of the detail of these additional prophecies especially in the back part of his life. Zechariah 9, a prophecy. The word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach and will come to rest on Damascus. For the eyes of all the people and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord and on Hamath too, which borders on it, and on Sidon and Tyre. Though they are very skilled, Tyre has built herself a stronghold. She has heaped up silver like dust and gold like the dirt of the streets. But the Lord will take away her possessions and destroy her power on the sea, and she will be consumed by fire. Ashkelon will go see it in fear. Gaza will writhe in agony, and Ekron too, for her hope will wither. Gaza will lose her king, and Ashkelon will be deserted. A mongrel people will occupy Ashdod. And I will put an end to the pride of the Philistines. I will take the blood from their mouths, the forbidden food from between their teeth. Those who are left will belong to our God and become a clan in Judah. And our corner will be like the Jebusites. But I will encamp at my temple to guard it against the marauders. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. So now our tone changes, looking ahead. And notice the prophecy about Jesus in, in this next section. And his, in his first and second coming within the same word. We even have a reference to the Maccabean revolts at, at the same time. We even have a reference to the Maccabean revolts at the same time. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Zion. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope, Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow, and I will fill it with Ephraim. 
I will rouse your son Zion against your son's Greece, and I will make you like warrior sword. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south. And the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine, and they will be full like a bowl used for sprinkling in the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. Matthew will quote these scriptures in Zechariah 9, 9, and Matthew 25, 5. Your donkey comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. This is clearly the triumphant entry, and it's spoken of before its time. Don't you wonder if Zechariah had a clue? I mean, did he have a vision of this, or was it a word with no extra revelation? I mean, it's just kind of curious. You know, I wonder how little did he know, or did he know all about Jesus? I mean, these are the things I ponder as I prepare for these programs. I mean, you think, you know, Zechariah experienced God. Did he have some outrageous vision of the triumphant entry, or did he just kind of start journaling? You know, I mean, you know, how many times have we journaled, and actually it was profound later when you find out about it, you're like, oh, wow, that was crazy. But was it something like that? Or was it some monumental experience for him and all he gives us his words? I'm just curious. It's just one of the fascinating things uh, when you kind of put yourself in their shoes or you consider it, you ponder, what was it like for Zechariah? These prophets are just wonderful in their revelation. It continues. Zechariah 11.4. This is what the Lord my God says. Shepherd the flock, mark for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. They who sell them say, Praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them, for I no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will give everyone in the hands of their neighbors and their king. I will devastate the land and will not rescue anyone from their hands. So I shepherded the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favor and the other one union, and I shepherded the flock. And in one month I got rid of the three shepherds. The flock detested me, and I grew weary of them, and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die and the perish perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Then I took my staff called favor and broke it, revoked the covenant I made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day, and so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew I was. it was the word of the Lord. I told them, If you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the handsome price to which they valued me. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Then I broke my second staff called Union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost, or seek the young, or heal the injured, or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. 
May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. So within these sections, we have the, you know, prophecy of Jesus. And they took 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. This is Jesus being portrayed by Judas Iscariot for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. The money was returned to the Sanhedrin. They couldn't receive it back because it was blood money. Thus they bought a field and became known as the potter's field, fulfilling the prophecy. It's astounding. These words are written hundreds of years before it happens. Zechariah continues, Having some of the most detailed visions of Jesus, rivaling Isaiah and the words about him. Zechariah 12, 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. The one pierced was also stated in Isaiah 53. And this section is clearly Jesus. This section mirrors um, Isaiah 53 and that section about Jesus and what the transaction at the cross was. Isaiah 53, for he was pierced for our transgressions. And in Zechariah 12, it says, they will look upon the one they have pierced. Jesus was, was flogged. He, was, he had to carry his own cross. He was high and lifted up. He was put on the cross. Uh, they put nails in his hands or his forearms, and, he, and they held him up on the cross, and they also pierced him with the spear in his side. Isaiah 53 also says, it's, By his stripes we are healed. It, it's so powerful what Jesus did. Zechariah 13. On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And on that day I will banish the names of the idols from the land and they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. Zechariah 13.7. Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I'll turn my hand against the little ones. And the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perished, and one-third will be left in it. This one-third I will put into the fire, and I will find them like silver and test them like gold, and they will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is our God. This refining it is clearly the um, the fire of God. In the in this fire of God is not a consuming fire. Think about the the burning bush. It it burned, but it didn't burn up. Um, God is always working and refining His people, and God's fire is one of refinement. It's the one that makes diamonds. It's the one that makes um, the absolute most precious of stones through insane pressure. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. This is when they took Jesus away, and the apostles scattered. 
And after the prophecies of Jesus that Zechariah goes through, in very prophetic fashion, Zechariah ends his book, his scroll, his prophecies, um, with the end of the end. And it looks like one of the end time battles. Not Armageddon, but a battle against Jerusalem at the end of the age. Or, you know, during this time period. The visuals are amazing. And we conclude this episode with Zechariah 14, an end-time battle for Jerusalem. Zechariah 14. The day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided within your very walls. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of King Uzzah of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day only known to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half to east to the Mediterranean Sea in the summer and in the winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord, and his name the only name. The whole land from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem, will become like Arabah. But the Jerusalem will be raised up high from the Benjamin gate to the site of the first gate to the cornered gate and from the tower of Hananel to the royal wine presses and will remain in its place. It will be inhabited, never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secure. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And on that day, people will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. They will seize each other by the hand and attack one another. Judah, too, will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected, great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and mules, the camels and donkeys, and all the animals in those camps. Then the survivors from all the nations they have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up or take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. And on that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty, 
and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. Here's a programming note. We'll be taking off next week for Christmas. Have a Merry Christmas, everyone. And hey, if you're missing the program and you really want to hear Message to Kings next weekend, um, there won't be one, uh, but take the time. And if you're going to take the time to listen, take the time to send us an email. Uh, We'd love to get to know the audience out there. Email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.